Well, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, this has already been a great time, hasn't it? When we think of baptisms, I always think back to the day I was baptized. It always takes me back there. And I remember what God did in my life and my heart and the day that I wanted to just unite, uh, obviously with Christ as my Savior, but to unite with a group of people and tell the world that I was one of God's children. What a great testimony this is for us uh, as church people and as, as Christians. It's wonderful to be able to go through those waters. And these, these times around the communion table, I hope, are very precious for you. We, we, we take the opportunity to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper. These are moments when once again we remember the depth of God's love for us in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die and pay the penalty for our sin. Yes, we celebrate Jesus, Messiah, just like we've just been singing. I want us this morning to take a glimpse back to where all of this began, and the context in which it happened. And This year, the Jewish celebration of Passover will begin on Friday, April 15th, which is also Good Friday. Uh, the, that calendar doesn't always sync that way every year uh, in the Jewish calendar, but the proximity of these two holy days in the calendar are, are, no, are not new, new news to us. They happen every year. We know that the Passover celebration is a reminder of what God did for the Jewish people in giving them and providing a way of escape from captivity in Egypt. It also reminds us that Jesus was crucified during Passover, and that as a Jew, he had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The question is then, was this all happenstance, that he was there? Did this happen by mistake? Uh, I would say that the biblical answer is no. The reason he came to Jerusalem that final time was not just to, to celebrate the Passover, but he came to become our Passover. As the Apostle Paul says plainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been crucified, has been sacrificed. We have beautiful pictures of Christ being the, called the Lamb of God in John 1.29 when John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, we read these words, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So, how then did Jesus fulfill the Passover? Well, the answer that we can get is when we look back in, in the scriptures, especially to Exodus chapter 12, which is really the first story of the first Passover. Uh, there we see why the Passover was necessary, what it meant, and then we'll be able to see the significance of how Christ became our Passover. I'm going to read for you from Exodus chapter 12. You're welcome to follow me in your, in your Bible or in a pew Bible, page 46. I'm going to read the first 12 verses to kind of give us the context of what's taking place here. The Lord said to Moses, Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, 
Each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with the head, legs, internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Interesting context here. Interesting setting. We know that it's in Egypt. We know that the circumstances that surround this time really are a context of chaos. Egypt has just moved through nine plagues uh, that God has brought on, the, on their lives. And the purpose of this is not just haphazard, but God really is judging Egypt. But alongside of his judgment of Egypt, God is also keeping a promise that we find in Genesis chapter 15 and in Exodus chapter 2. He had sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their children would have the land of Canaan for an inheritance. Yet they've been stuck in Egypt for centuries. It was time for God to get them out and to bring them home. So God brought one last plague, the most severe of all. With the last nine plagues, Israel was primarily exempted from difficulty. Their cattle didn't die. We find that in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 6. Their crops uh, weren't hailed on, and, and again in chapter 9 and verse 26. Even their land didn't go dark over in Exodus chapter 10. But the plague would be a different one. God will be considering everyone this time. Apart from some miraculous provision, God is going to strike down all the firstborn in Egypt, including the firstborn of Israel. Why one more plague then? Because despite the fact that Israel is a chosen people of God and that they've been oppressed for centuries, the truth is that they are sinners too. We know from reading Israel's history uh, the story that they've been worshiping the false gods of Egypt. And God who is just can't simply ignore their sin. The message of the 10th plague is that God is holy and just. But the message of Passover also is that God is also merciful. On that first Passover, God provided a way which he could be both just and merciful at the same time. And I think this is one of the most precious things 
and aspects of our theology uh, and especially our soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. It's so precious to think about this because we believe that Christ's death bought us our salvation through substitution. Christ's death was substitutionary in that he died in our place, taking on the punishment that we deserved. When you think about that, folks, it's actually amazing to think about. God's provision is simple but specific. Take a lamb, a mature male, one-year-old, and without a blemish, examine it for four days to ensure there's no flaw in it. And finally, on the 14th day of the month, the night the death angel kills the firstborn, kill the lamb. Then apply its blood to your doorpost, and when God sees the blood, he will pass over you. Beautiful picture. That's the meaning of this picture here. God spares Israel's sons, not because they are better than Egypt's sons, but because a spotless lamb dies in their place. And its blood covers the door. So the message of Passover is salvation through substitution. And according to the New Testament, the message of Passover is also the message of Good Friday and the message of our time around this table this morning. So we have two elements in our hand. And the first element that we have uh, is an element that represents the body of a lamb. The precious Lamb of God, Jesus, without spot or wrinkle. Pure. It was unleavened, as this is what we have in our hands this morning, uh, because it represents a body without blemish. It's pure and sinless. We know that the Bible often refers to leaven and, and as representing sin, because we know that leaven, when you put it in a loaf, it, it affects the whole loaf and it makes it go blow up and rise. And uh, so sin can permeate our lives in the very same way. There had to be a body for a sacrifice, as they were used to. And it had to be perfect. Now, this piece of cracker we have in our hands this morning is not going to turn into the body of Christ as you eat it. Okay? We know that it's representative. It helps us to remember what Jesus has done for us in giving us his body. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks. Paul, I'm going to ask you to come and pray for us and give thanks for the body of Jesus. So he took the bread and he prayed and he said these words, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
so as we go back over again the Passover, we ask this question, if ultimately an animal sacrifice could really substitute for a human. And we know that the answer is that it couldn't, ultimately. In Hebrews chapter 10, in the midst of a discussion on Christ's once and for all sacrifice for us, the writer says, it is impossible for the blood of goats and and bulls to take away sin. How could God pass over a human sin because an animal died was still a problem that needed to be solved. And that first Good Friday is when God brought the message and brought the solution. The people of Egypt and Israel stood exposed to God's wrath in that 10th plague uh, for their idolatry. Just like them, we all stand exposed to God's wrath and righteousness in our lives for our own idolatry and our own sin. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And apart from God's eternal provision in Christ, every last one of us in this room this morning were headed to, to, to perish in a godless eternity under wrath of God and under the fire of hell. While God is holy and just, though, he's also infinite in his compassion of love. He has provided a way to be just and merciful at the same time. Salvation through substitution. The Passover was meant to paint that picture for us, but it wasn't the real thing. But when we get to the Gospels, the true substitute is here. I mentioned earlier the words of John just before Jesus' baptism, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This time, God didn't ask us to supply a lamb or to provide a lamb. He provided the lamb himself. And this lamb was no beast. He was fully God and fully man. Like us in every way except sin. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a hint into this. And I want to read two passages with you this morning from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Let's read this together, all right? For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And then over in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, let's read this together. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Amen? We need to rejoice in that. Jesus' life and his death and sacrifice really corresponded to this Old Testament picture that we're looking at this morning. As a Passover lamb, he was a mature male. None of his bones were broken. We find in Exodus chapter 12, the, the rule that was given there for the Israelites to not break the bones of the lamb. And over in John 19, we see evidence of that in Jesus. He was thoroughly examined and found spotless, 1 Peter 2.22. 
and was slain for, for our sins and the sins of the world, 1 Corinthians 15 and Revelation 1.5. So, we can boast this morning and proclaim that we have been redeemed. And so let's read that verse again that I read earlier for you in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Let's read that together this morning. Here we go. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now this leaves a question for us this morning. Is his blood applied to you? Are you covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? If not, we would love to show you this morning how that can become true in your life. Remember what Exodus 12 says, strictly speaking, it wasn't just enough for the Passover lamb to be slain. In order for God to pass over them, its blood had to be applied to their door. If they'd admitted that, the lamb wouldn't have done them any good at all. And they would have perished. John Calvin said these words once, As long as Christ remains outside of us, and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race will remain useless and of no value to us. Let me read that once more for you. As long as Christ remains outside of us, and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race will remain useless and of no value for us. We must look on the Lamb who was pierced for us and, and embrace him by faith as our only protection from God's wrath. And faith is that wonderful instrument that he's given to us by which his blood is applied to our lives personally. And when God sees that blood, he passes over you. You have eternal life. So, in our hands, the other element that we hold this morning represents the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. Poured out for the remission of our sins. The blood, like the body, came from the Savior, who was the perfect Lamb of God. Over in that passage in 1 Corinthians 11, we read again that after the supper, he took the cup. I want us to pray together. And I'm going to ask Skip if you'll come and pray for us in thanksgiving for Christ's blood. Jesus said this on the night he was betrayed. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. No more sacrifice. One sacrifice once and for all. Wow. It's amazing. 
And he said, do this whenever you drink this in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Salvation through substitution. This is the message of Passover. It's the message of Good Friday. It's the message of the communion time that we've had together this morning. And it's the hope of the world. It's our hope. It's eternal. And it's what we remember here this morning as we have participated together. Paul completes this section of 1 Corinthians 11 with these words. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, as his children, that's why we continue to do this on a regular basis. It's why we celebrate uh, this time together. As the team comes, let's, let's bow in a word of prayer together. All right, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning and remember once again your son's sacrifice for us. Thank you for the picture that we see in this Old Testament context of that first Passover and how you made it possible for the Israelites to escape the wrath of God through the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sins. And now, Lord, as we sing together, I pray that we'll just rejoice in that life that we have in him. And that we'll honor you as we do this, I pray in Jesus' name.